All right, let's pray. Lord, thanks for your goodness, and uh, Lord, we just love your word, and we love you. And so uh, we pray that uh, as we just sit at your feet today and open your word, that you would speak to our hearts, and that uh, you, by your Holy Spirit, would just um, do whatever needs to be done in our hearts, Lord. We all need something different in many ways. We all have our own situations and our own concerns and our own vulnerabilities, and Lord, you, you give us your word and you give us your spirit to uh, deal with all of that. So please have your way with us now. Guide us and lead us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So if you would, turn up, turn your Bibles open to Jeremiah chapter 6. Lord willing, we'll read 6 and 7 today. But that's why I always said Lord willing, because last week I said Lord willing, we'd read 5 and 6, and we read 5. So 6 and 7 today. Nate and I went to uh, a conference um, in Atlanta this week, and uh, um, along the way we were listening to, some of you have heard me say, a reference to a guy named Damian Kyle. He's a Bible teacher out in California. I'd love to listen to him. And anyway, we listened to him along the way, and uh, at the end Nate says, I don't think Damian goes into as much introduction as you do, so... So Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 1, let's go. Uh, o oh, you children of Benjamin, gather yourselves to flee from the midst of Jerusalem. Blow the trumpet in Tekoa and set up a signal fire in Beth Hecarim. For disaster appears out of the north and great destruction. So in all seriousness, the context here is Jeremiah is preaching to an unrepentant nation of Judah. They're unrep- they've, they've, they've sacrificed uh, their relationship with the Lord that he worked out all that they needed for that, brought him into the promised land, the whole nine yards, and they basically traded that, all that in for pagan idol worship, the worship of Baal, of Molech, of, of all these false uh, deities, and, um, and God is, has to bring judgment. God is full of love, God is full of grace, God is full of mercy, but God is also just. And so God has to deliver justice uh, in some ways. Sometimes God does it. Sometimes God disciplines his children. We've been talking about that the last few weeks. Sometimes God judges his children. Sometimes, ultimately, the ultimate judgment for sin was delivered, right? And it was the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. So we can praise the Lord for that. But day by day, there is a principle of sowing and reaping. There's a principle of, of you know, whatever you sow, you're going to reap. If you put corn seeds in the ground, right, and everything goes like it should, you're not going to get peppers growing up. You're going to get corn plants, right? So Galatians tells us that if a man sows to the flesh, he'll reap corruption. If he sows to the Spirit, he'll reap everlasting life. And so it's a very real principle in the midst of all this, God's about to deliver his justice uh, and his judgment to the nation of Judah. They're going to be conquered by the Babylonians. And, and yet, in his love and his grace and his mercy, he's warning his children. And so, all that to say, um, we've got to be aware, we've got to be alert, we've got to be discerning. 
And yet we have to apply the Scripture to our lives individually and as a society. And there is, I believe, some truth to the fact that God uh, could potentially, you know, we could draw some parallels, I guess we might say, of the nation of Judah with modern-day America that we live in now. And so, you know, you've got to be a little bit careful, right? Do we, um, can we conclude from these pages that uh, the Babylonians are going to come and take us out and send, them all, send us all off to Babylon? I don't think we can conclude that. Can we say that'll never happen to us? I don't think we can do that either, right? And so, as the Holy Spirit would speak to us individually, let's just be aware that, oh, by the way, we also live in a nation that has rejected God to a, to a large extent. And yet we are a remnant who has not rejected God. And so, um, thankfully, he is sovereign over all those things, and we can rest in that. So you know what that was? That was a long introduction after I just read verse 1. So I snuck it in on you anyway. So he said, children of Benjamin. Benjamin was the tribe that was associated with, that was kind of collectively Judah and Benjamin made up the nation of Judah. So he's just, you know, kind of uh, using this as an example. But he says, flee from the midst of Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem was a walled city, right? And so in the ancient world, basically the military strategy is go into the walled city, hunker down, and fight from, you know, from a fortress type of standpoint. But in this case, God knows that the Babylonians are going to come. They're going to surround that walled city and close them in. So Jeremiah's warning, very practical. He says, go to the rural places, right? Because we all know that's where it's at, the rural places. And so uh, get out of there. And so very practical warning. He goes on, he says, I have likened the daughter of Zion. And again, the daughter of Zion. Zion is a word for, uh, you know, Jerusalem, the people of Jerusalem. So he's talking, you know, um, figuratively, if you will, of the Jewish people. Uh, I've likened the daughter of Zion to a lovely and delicate woman. The shepherds with their flocks shall come to her. They shall pitch their tents against her all around, and each one shall pasture in his own place. And so uh, uh, the Jewish people are, are likened to a delicate woman. Now, God's not sexist. He's been accused of being sexist, but he's not sexist. What he does describe is uh, a lot more clarity than our modern society gives us as to what is a man or a woman. Is that fair? And, yes. So he gives us a lot of clarity into what is a man or a woman. And he gives, uh, basically he's just using, and you know, let me just say this. We live in a society where I have to explain this, right? That's its own lesson, right? But the reality is, God says, you know what? You guys that are going to be hanging out there in Jerusalem, um, you're like a lovely and delicate woman. Now, is there anything wrong with a lovely and delicate woman? Does God highly value women? Yes. Does he value them any less than men? No, but are they different? Yes. And does God highlight that for us sometimes in the scripture? Yes. So when the Babylonians are coming, do you want to give your guns to all the women and say, and the men say, we're out of here. You guys call us when it's over, right? 
That's what he's saying. He's kind of using a, an, a sort of an exaggerated figure of speech here a little bit that, you know, you guys are like uh, a lovely and delicate woman. You're going to be vulnerable, right? Women are awesome. Lovely and delicate women are awesome. Um, but uh, they're probably a little more vulnerable than the men uh, when the Babylonians are coming. That's all he's saying. Nothing offensive. Anybody offended yet? All right. Thank you. I needed that. He says, prepare war against her. Arise and let us go up at noon. Woe to us, for the day goes away, for the shadows of the evening are lengthening. Now, we have to kind of understand the, the Hebrew wording here. This word prepare really means to make holy. And uh, most commentators suggest that when they say, you know, this is kind of the people now talking in response to what Jeremiah is saying, prepare war against her. Like, make holy. Like, oh, wow, the Babylonians are coming. Man, we, better, we need to get all of our idols and all of our bales and all of our asherahs and all of our, you know, all of our candles lit up and ready to go in anticipation uh, to prepare for this battle that's going to come. And God is saying, you totally miss it. They, they, it's like they sense the urgency, but their response is completely misguided. And candidly, I think that speaks to our American life today. We sense, you know, it's interesting. Again, I, I hope I don't harp on this too much. But there's a sense of, like, the world is on edge a little bit right now. Our nation is on edge. Even small, uh, isolated, rural Indiana is on edge a little bit. But the question is, what's the response to that? Do we panic? Do we strategize? Do we try to manipulate the masses? Or do we go to our knees and ask God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? I, I have to confess, uh, I find myself doing all of those things, <laughs> often in that order, right? And so, you know, we just got to make sure our response is right for the situation. And he says, verse 5, arise and let us go by night and let, her t let, let us destroy her palaces. So this is likely the voice of the Babylonians uh, plotting their strategy as Jeremiah is kind of playing out the narrative. For thus has the Lord of hosts said, cut down trees and build a mound against Jerusalem. So again, this is kind of like, again, Jeremiah is speaking a little bit poetically here. Um, but according to the word of the Lord, uh, and the Lord's now probably, this is likely him speaking to the Babylonians. Cut down some trees, build a mound against Jerusalem. This is a city to be punished. She's full of oppression in her midst as a fountain wells up with water, so she wells up with her wickedness. Violence and plundering are heard in her before me continually are grief and wounds. And so, you know, God's directing the Babylonians to cut down the trees. They're going to use that for the siege, the barricades around Jerusalem. Uh, but it's all because of the wickedness of the Jews. Notice this. She is full. This is a city to be punished. She's full of oppression in her midst. As a fountain wells up with water, so she wells up with her wickedness. You ever notice we all well up with something like a fountain? You ever notice that? You hang around with somebody for 10 minutes. And what do they talk about? Right? Something oftentimes they're excited about, right? Some people, man, they just well up talking about their golf game, right? Some people well up talking about their job, like with excitement, not with stress. 
Some people well up with stress. Some people well up talking about their situation. We all well up with something, in a sense. These people, they welled up with their wickedness. What should we well up with? Again, John chapter 7, verse 37 to 39 says this, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. You catch this in the midst of this sort of, like I say, we're all on edge a little bit as a, as a society, as a world. And what does he tell us? Hey, if anybody's thirsty, he means spiritually thirsty. Come to me and dig a well. Make sure it's deep enough. Make sure the water's clean. Get the water tested. Do what you need to do. Make it all happen. Make sure it's at the right spot. If it's not at the right spot, dig another well altogether. Bring in the hardware uh, where you can pump it. Pump it out. Get yourself some water and then drink. Is that what Jesus said? No. He said, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me. And there's only one verb there. Drink. Let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water, like welling up. It says, but this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. So we can well up with the Holy Spirit, right? And out of our lives come the fruit of the Spirit. And we don't have to worry about welling up with wickedness or welling up with anything that's not in line with, with his will. Verse 8, be instructed, O Jerusalem, lest my soul depart from you, lest I make you desolate, a land not inhabited. Thus says the Lord of hosts, they shall, sure, they shall thoroughly glean as a vine the remnant of Israel. As a grape gatherer, put your hand back into the branches. And so when they come through, it's like Babylon's going to come in like they're gathering grapes, right? Remember we read, uh, I think last week, uh, John chapter 15, I am the vine and you are the branches, Jesus said, right? And, and in terms of the vine and branches analogy, um, you know, of the, of the grapevine, sometimes, even if we're bearing fruit, God will prune us, right? He'll kind of cut away the branches that don't bear fruit. And sometimes pruning kind of hurts a little bit. Sometimes pruning's uncomfortable. Sometimes pruning kind of takes me in a direction I wasn't planning to go. But sometimes that's just pruning. Well, there's also sometimes where he, he references some branches are cut off and thrown into the fire. Now, that's not to get into, you know, um, anyway, not to get off on a theological thing, right? But these branches the Babylonians are going to come in and they're going to glean as a vine and they're going to put back their, they're going to put their hand back into the branches. They're going, to, they're going to basically remove a lot of dead branches. And so again, we need to be aware. God is serious. God is serious. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Indeed, their ear is uncircumcised and they cannot give heed. Behold, the word of the Lord is a reproach to them. They have no delight in it. Look at this. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Indeed, their ear is uncircumcised. Now, we've talked in the past. You read, you know, from the Old Testament, circumcision was a sign to the Jewish people that they belonged to God. In a sense, a part of the flesh was removed, right? 
because God didn't want his people to live according to the flesh. We've also talked about, uh, we read actually a couple weeks ago, um, circum- chapter, Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 4, circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskin of your hearts, right? That our hearts should not be striving after the flesh, right? The thing that I love, the things that I love in this life should be spiritual, not carnal, not according to the flesh, not according to all oh, my appetites, what I want. I want it now. I want, I want, I want. That's not how we're supposed to live. That's called circumcising the foreskin of our hearts, right? But there's another fascinating thing, I think, here. He says, their ear is uncircumcised. They can't even hear spiritual things. The word of the Lord is a reproach to them. They have no delight in it. Their ears are uncircumcised. They can't even hear. You ever notice there's sometimes there are people in this world, spiritually speaking, that can't hear for sure. And I'll just tell you honestly, it's taken me a long time as a Christian. Long time. Like decades. <laughs> to figure out this one simple truth. What happens if you talk to a deaf person? And you say, how you doing? What's going on? And they give you a completely blank look and you realize that they're deaf. What do you then do? You yell at them. See if they can hear when you yell. Do they hear when you yell? No, they generally don't, right? There's sometimes people in, the, in this world, they're spiritually deaf, and we want to debate them, right? They're spiritually deaf. They can't discern the word of truth. Jesus said, by the way, John chapter 17, your word is truth. In a world where we need, to, need discernment desperately, in a world of, frankly, craziness in terms of the information we have at our fingertips on all sides, okay, believe me, I'm not picking on one side or the other because I see craziness on all sides. We need to come back to your word is truth. We need to make sure our ears are circumcised. So if my ear only wants to, t- to listen to stuff that has to do with what I want, and I want it now, and I want my appetite satisfied, and I want this, and I want that, and it's all about me, 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 guess what? I probably won't hear or discern the voice of the Lord. And I want to hear the voice of the Lord today. Therefore, verse 11, I am full of the fury of the Lord, Jeremiah would say. I'm weary of holding it in. I will pour it out on the children outside and on the assembly of young men together. For even the husband shall be taken with the wife and the aged with him who is full of days. And their houses shall be turned over to others, fields and wives together. For I will stretch out my hand against the inhabitants of this land, says the Lord. Because from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness. And from the prophet, even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. So again, God's going to bring destruction. The people don't care about God. They don't want to hear what he has to say. Their ears are uncircumcised. They have no delight in his word. They also, they have also healed the hurt of my people slightly. That's an interesting word. Saying peace, peace, when there is no peace. 
Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No. They were not at all ashamed, nor did they know how to blush. Does that sound like America? Therefore they shall fall among those who fall at the time I punish them. They shall be cast down, says the Lord. So the prophets were claiming peace, peace, when there is no peace. And again, we need to be discerning. We need to know the truth, and the truth is the Word of God. He said, your word is truth. Why do, why do we as a body spend all these hours, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, because all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And I want to be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I want to know the truth. There's so much out there. There's so much out there. I want to know the truth. Your word is truth, Jesus said. So if they say peace, peace, if you read online today that there's peace, peace, does that mean there's peace? No. You all know what Abraham Lincoln once said. You can't believe everything you read on the internet. That's what Abraham Lincoln once said. So don't believe everything you read. He was an awesome guy, right? So you can't believe everything you read on the internet. If they say peace, peace, I want to know that the Bible says peace, peace. And if our nation is in the same place that Judah was in, then I don't know that I can say peace, peace. I can say the peace of God, which passes understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, and I can rest there, right? But I can't really rest in world events. I can't rest in... Uh, whatever their solution is to whatever their problem is or, what I, or even whatever my problem is. I can't rest in that. And so the prophets here, one of the things that's going on is, number one, these people have rejected the Lord, and number two, their prophets are basically lying. I won't ask if that sounds like America. You decide. And they did not know how to blush. What's media done to our society today? Think about it. We don't know how to blush. We don't know how to blush. I remember I was a kid. When I, well, I wasn't a kid. I, was, I think I was in high school or college. I won't even tell you the name of the movie. I'm embarrassed to tell you I ever saw it. But I saw a movie that I shouldn't have seen. And I remember... It had a great storyline. And I told my parents, oh, you ought to go see that movie. <laughs> and they came back and they're like, uh, hello, did you notice this part and this part and this part and this part and this part? And I'm 18 years old. It's like, I didn't know how to blush. I blush a little more now than I did then. But honestly, there are a lot of things that just don't shock me much anymore. We need to ask the Lord to kind of, again, bathe our minds and our hearts in enough truth 
that we'll know how to blush because our society does not know how to blush. Thus says the Lord. Verse 16. Stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it and then you'll find rest for your souls. But they said we will not walk in it. Let me ask you today. Do you feel like you have rest for your soul? Is our soul at rest today? You know, I was talking to somebody earlier. Sometimes we feel like I should be doing more, right? The world always seems uh, un, unfinished, right? Our life of ministry always seems unfinished, right? Remember Peter and, James, uh, Peter and John, I believe, Acts early on. Go to the temple. I forget what chapter it is as I'm thinking about it. Three, three. The prompter in the back said three. Acts chapter three, Peter and John are going to the temple. There's a lame man there, right? Remember the guy? He says, hey, can I have some money? Peter says, you guys know the song, don't you? Right? I won't sing it, but there's a song. Um, Peter and John said, Peter says, I don't have any money, but in the name of Jesus, walk. And he says he was jumping and leaping and praising God, right? Now, what's curious is, that guy had been there for many years at the temple steps. So what that always struck me, that story, is who walked past him, do you think, many times and seemingly ignored that guy? Who would have walked past him many times? Jesus, the Pharisees? Who else? Jesus Christ. Right? Jesus knew that that guy was determined to get healed in Acts chapter 3, right? So lest we think that the job is all on us, we just do what God has for us today, and that's perfect. But along the way, as we do that, we do it according to the old paths. We do it according to, you know, I like this, I'm old school, right? Do you know, do you find it surprising if I would say I'm old school? I'm very old school, right? The Bible is old school. And the old path is really the narrow road that Jesus described in Matthew chapter 7. And that's where you'll find rest for your souls. I'm burdened. I'm burdened in our day that there are too many of us, honestly, often, a lot of times me included, that our souls are not at rest. My soul's been a little heavy lately. And uh, I was talking to a friend of mine, uh, I think last week. His soul's very heavy. He deals in a world that's uh, very heavy. And he said, you know, I just, it's like he's frustrated that, you know, I want to rest in the goodness of God. And for us, that's what I want for myself and for all of us, that we can not be complacent, but that we can find rest in the goodness of God. That's according to the old paths, he says, the narrow road. That's where you find rest for your souls. But they said, I will sing that song. 
we always watch those at home. As soon as they start whistling, I say, oh, I love this episode. <laughs> so you laugh because you're not tired of that joke. None of my kids laughed. They're tired of that joke. Uh, we have editing software. Don't sweat it. Um, also, he says, I set watchmen over you saying, listen to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not listen. God sends people to warn. God sends people to warn. God gives us his word. We're not, we're, we're without excuse. Therefore, hear you nations and know, O congregation, what is among them. Hear, O earth, behold, I will certainly bring calamity on this people, the fruit of their thoughts, because they have not heeded my words, nor my law, but rejected it. For what purpose to me comes frankincense from Sheba and sweet cane from a far country? Your burnt offerings are not acceptable, nor your sacrifices sweet to me. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will lay stumbling blocks before this people, and the fathers and the sons together shall fall on them, the neighbor and his friend shall perish. So what do we see here? God's going to be, bring destruction. Empty religion will not help. Can I tell you this? In the, day of, in the day of battle, in the day of trial, in the day of testing, in the day of whatever, and I'm not saying that day is necessarily coming, but, you know, Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. That's a promise. In this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And so when that day of tribulation comes, can I suggest what we don't do? Whop out our frankincense real quick. Grab our idol off the mantle, right? Now, we don't have little, you know, statues on the mantle, but we have our thing. We have our thing that we trust in. And when that moment of testing or that moment of tribulation comes right? False religion is of no value. God says, your burnt offerings are not acceptable, nor your sacrifices sweet to me. We need to genuinely, genuinely love and serve God Almighty according to His Word. Not according to our feelings. Not according to our weird mixture of our own selfishness, our own flesh, and His Word. Not according to our own mixture of our own weird religion and His Word. Just according to His Word. Thus says the Lord, verse 22, Behold, a people comes from the north country, and a great nation will be raised from the farthest parts of the earth. They will lay hold on bow and spear. They are cruel and have no mercy. This is talking about the Babylonians. Their voice roars like the sea, and they ride on horses as men of war set in array against you, O daughter of Zion. We've heard the report of it. Our hands grow feeble. Anguish has taken hold of, it, of us. Pain as of a woman in labor. Do not go out into the field nor walk by the way because of the sword of the enemy. Fears on every side. O daughter of my people, dress in sackcloth and roll about in ashes. Make mourning as for an only son, most bitter lamentation, for the plunderer will suddenly come upon us. And so, again, destruction is coming from the north, from the Babylonians. I've set you as an assayer and a fortress among my people, that you may know that and test their way. They are all stubborn rebels, walking as slanderers. Now God's speaking to Jeremiah. They are bronze and iron. They are all corruptors. Their bellows blow freely. Their lead is consumed by the fire. The smelter refines in vain. For the wicked 
are not drawn off, people will call them rejected silver but the, because the Lord has rejected them. So the idea of the, of the, the refinery, the, the fire, right? We're all refined by fire in ways. Uh, the New Testament speaks of that, right? The works that we do are refined by fire. And what happens? You know, you put a bunch of gold in a, in a, in a, in a fire, right? Then you can draw off the impurities. And what's left is the pure gold, right? And these guys didn't get that. Some, and what they did, they just, they didn't, they kept their impurities, the refining fire didn't work on them. God gives us discipline. God, God tests us. God lets us go through things sometimes for, for our strengthening so we can grow in Him, so we can grow character and perseverance and hope. And hope does not disappoint us, Romans chapter 5. But we've got to grow strong in the Lord and allow those times uh, to strengthen us. Chapter 7. This is a great chapter. The word of the Lord, the word that, the, that came to the, Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all of you of Judah who enter in at these gates to worship the Lord. So for these next few chapters, I think 7 through 10, God is going to give Jeremiah these messages. And specifically, he tells him, I want you to go to the temple of the Lord. And that's where I want you to preach from. So up until now, Jeremiah's just kind of been, you know, we don't really have specifically where he's been. Maybe he's been talking in his neighborhood, uh, whatever, right? But now we know specifically he's talking at the temple. And a lot of commentators say that maybe this would have been during uh, one of the times of the three great feasts when the, all the Jewish people would come to the temple, right? So it's, it's almost like if you picture this, I don't know if you've ever seen this scene, but you're walking up to a stadium, let's say for a football game or something, right? Or some stadium you know, where some big event's going to happen. And there's like, you're walking in with mobs of people. And there's a guy over here, and he's got one of these portable microphones, right? And he's preaching. Right? Now, I'm a Christian. I love the Lord. I love His Word. What do I often think when I walk past that guy? I haven't, this, I mean... I haven't been to one of these events in a while, right? But in my mind, what do I think when I'm... We, there's something collectively that depends on what he says, right? But do I... Am, am I naturally inclined... Maybe I'm the only one. I'm starting to feel like I'm the only one. Am I naturally inclined to stop and listen to that guy? Or am I a little more naturally inclined to think, I think that guy's crazy. I'm just going to keep on walking. Former or the latter? Raise your if you think first. You, you would naturally, you're, I'm just curious now if I am the only one. If by your natural inclination, you would think, I want to go hear what that guy has to say. Raise your hand if you'd be that guy, that person. All right, a couple of them. That's good. That's honest. Raise your hand if you think, I don't know. I'm no doctor, but I think that guy's crazy. All right, good. Well, I am a doctor, and I think that guy's crazy. But anyway, I'm not a psychiatrist. Uh, but anyway, there's just something, I think just because of the scene, that sometimes makes us think that. And so I just want to kind of bring out the point. Here's Jeremiah. They already think he's crazy. They already have, he knows they're going to reject his word. Just imagine the hit that he's willing to take 
personally to stand at the stand at the steps of the temple while people are coming in and say these words amazing thus says the lord of hosts the god of israel amend your ways and your doings and i will cause you to dwell in this place that's a beautiful offer that's a beautiful offer to a nation that's about ready to go down god says here's your chance here's essentially your last chance amend your ways he doesn't say hey worship the the baals a little harder do a rain dance he says amend your ways interestingly when john the baptist first came on the scene in 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 matthew very first word out of his mouth recorded in the book of matthew is repent repent he doesn't say hey try harder come on now fellas he says repent jesus page or two later comes on the scene if i'm not mistaken his first word out of his mouth is repent right jeremiah standing on the steps of the courthouse or of the courthouse of the temple right says amend essentially repent repent you know repentance is a word we don't always like because we like to be affirmed i like to know that what i'm doing is the right thing i don't like to be told that what i'm doing is the wrong thing because if you tell me to repent then that means by definition i'm doing the wrong thing and there's something in all of us that we don't really like to sort of receive that message but sometimes that's the message we need and God doesn't always give us uh, a warm, fuzzy message to make us feel better about ourselves. God will give us the message we need. And to these people, and to anyone in the sound of my voice, honestly, if you're not walking with the Lord, I believe His word is repent. Amend your ways, Jeremiah says. And I will cause you to dwell in this place. I'll bless you. Do not trust in these lying words saying, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. And so now he's standing, again, he's standing in front of the temple. And he's saying, hey, don't, don't trust the temple. What was the temple? That was their Jewish, that was their, their church, if you will. That was their Jewish place. That was the picture of their Jewish heritage, right? What do we as Americans sometimes do, Right? We like to walk in sin. We like to reject the word of the Lord. We like to embrace worldly philosophy. And we like to call ourselves a Christian nation. Right? If you study any statistics, right? You know, Gallup polls and whatnot, people still say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Right? Well, you look around. Are we a Christian nation? Right? So we can't really trust in the fact that we're quote-unquote a Christian nation. What does that mean? You celebrate Christmas? He says, don't trust in the temple. Don't trust in the temple. Again, when John the Baptist came on the scene, the rest of what he said is, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And don't say, hey, we got Abraham as our father. (laughs) Right? Later on, Jesus comes along, right? And what do they tell Jesus? They say, who are you? Basically, I'm the Messiah. Well, we've got Abraham as our father. We're, we're, 
We're full pedigree Jews, so we're good because of our pedigree. No, no. Don't say the temple of the Lord. Don't say we have Abraham as our father. Don't say my great-great-uncle was a, was a preacher. That doesn't matter. What matters is our hearts serving the Lord Jesus Christ according to his word. Verse 5, for if you thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, if you thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, nor, or walk after other gods to your hurt, then I will cause you to dwell in this place in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. So again, even now, God in his mercy, God in his mercy, is tell, he's given them the answers to the test. It's an open book test. All right. Listen, so you don't maybe fully understand what it means to, to stop serving idols. First of all, get rid of your idols. And then, you know, execute judgment between a man and his neighbor. Don't oppress the stranger, the fatherless, or the widow. Don't shed innocent blood. Don't walk after other gods. I'm telling you what to do. I'm giving you the answers. That's God's grace. Verse 8, Behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal, and walk after other gods whom you do not know, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, We are delivered to do all these abominations? Can I tell you something that burdens me? Can I tell you something real seriously now that burdens me? I believe we're in tenuous times. Now, I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. But I know that we're placed on this earth for such a time as this, as Mordecai told Esther. And so we're here. We're here for a reason. We're here for a purpose. And these are tenuous times. And I think sometimes we think we can just kind of do our thing, live our life, sort of put God on the back seat, pull Him out when we need Him, keep living for ourselves, treat Him like, a, like we really don't care, no awe and respect, no thanksgiving, just convenient use of him when we need him and then when times get tough we want to pull him out of our pocket and and use him like a good luck charm does that work no i am burdened for the number of people i believe in america today that think that is going to work and i'm not a prophet of god but i can tell you i don't think it's going to work and i'm burdened for the the reality that may come upon those people. And I don't want that to happen to any of us. Can I tell you this? Today is the day of the Lord. Get right with Him. Get right with Him. Verse 11, Has this house which is called by my name become a den of thieves in your eyes? Behold, I, even I, have seen it, says the Lord. Right? We know that's what Jesus said when he turned over the tables and the money changers in the temple. He said, you guys made this a den of thieves, right? And even as far back as, as Jeremiah, right? He's like, you guys don't care about the Lord. You're coming to the temple just to, 
hang out. You've made it a den of thieves. He says, but now, this is a fascinating story. He says, but now go to my place which is in Shiloh, where I set my name at the first, and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. Now, I think I can turn back and read it quicker than I can explain it, okay? So I am interested in the time. But um, turn if you would, if you want, 1 Samuel chapter 4. fascinating story and it speaks exactly of what the Jewish people were doing during the time of Jeremiah and I believe it speaks to what we might be doing today if we're not careful and so I think this is why it's important that we read this. First Samuel chapter 4. Now just for background when the Israelites came out of the desert into the promised land remember they had the tabernacle the tent the portable sort of the portable tent that served as, the, as their temple, right? And when they came into the promised land, they parked that thing in Shiloh. And so Shiloh was the place where the tabernacle dwelt, right? And at the tabernacle, you know, was you know, all the furnishings of the tabernacle. But in the Holy of Holies of the tabernacle was the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant represented, I mean, God is everywhere, right? But the Ark of the Covenant was a representation of the very presence of God, okay? And so that's sort of the scene here. Now Israel went out, chapter 4, verse 1 of First uh, Samuel. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. And they encamped against, beside Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped at Aphek. So they each kind of lined up. Then the Philistines put themselves in battle array against Israel. And when the, they joined in battle, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men of the army of, in the field. So Philistines line up against Israelites. Philistines won. All right? Plan B, we need to go back to the drawing board, figure out what we did wrong. So, verse 3, when the people had come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? I know. Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us, that when it comes among us, it may save us from the hand of our enemies. So, the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring back from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. A little more of the backstory: Hophni and Phinehas were the priests in that time, and they were horribly wicked. They were horribly wicked, and the people didn't seem to care. So you got a whole nation. Picture this, and you draw whatever parallels to America you want. You got a whole nation that's that's at the time of 1 Samuel chapter 4. It's basically they don't care about the Lord. They sort of acknowledge him. They know that he brought them into the promised land, but they don't really care. Their church leadership, if you will, is corrupt and rotten to the core. Don't draw that parallel. At least here. And they go out and do battle with the world, with the Philistines, and they lose. And so they go back to the drawing board and they say, what is wrong? What should they have done, according to John the Baptist? Repent. What did they do instead? They said, you know what? I don't have a rabbit's foot, but I do have an Ark of the Covenant. Let's go grab it from Shiloh and bring 
it to the battle with us, and we'll have this supernatural favor of God, and we'll go back and fight against the Philistines. And did it work? No. No, it did not. No, it did not. What does God tell Jeremiah, tell the people in his day? But now go to the place which was at Shiloh. That's where that ark was that you got, that, that, that you thought was a lucky charm. Where I set my name at the first and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. God doesn't want, God doesn't want corrupt religion. God wants repentance and obedience and service to Him and love and appreciation for Him. And now because you've done all these works, says the Lord, and I spoke to you rising up early and speaking, but you did not hear. And I called you, but you did not answer. Therefore, I will do to the house which is called by my name, in which you trust, and to this place which I, have, which I gave to you and your fathers as I've done to Shiloh. So Jeremiah, you've got to picture this scene. Jeremiah is standing at the, front of the, at the steps of the temple. This is Solomon's temple. And all of its glory and all of its grandeur and all that it would have meant to the Jewish people. And God says, the same destiny is going to happen to that that happened to Shiloh. It's going to be crumbled. What happened? Babylonians came and decimated it. Leveled it. Exactly as God said. And I will cast you out of my sight. Verse 15, as I have cast out all your brethren, the whole posterity of Ephraim. Ephraim is a, is, a, is a representation of the northern kingdom of Israel. So he's saying if that's not enough, remember the northern, the northern tri- uh, ten tribes of Israel represented by Ephraim, they got taken out by the Assyrians 150 years ago because of their disobedience, remember? And so, I mean, how many times does God have to remind his people? How many times does God warn his people? Now look at this. These are sobering words. Therefore, God's telling to, talking to Jeremiah now, do not pray for this people, nor lift up a cry of pr- or prayer for them, nor make intercession to me, for I will not hear you. Do you not see what they do in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood, the fathers kindle the fire, and the women knead dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven. That's all their pagan worship. And by the way, take note that they involve their children in it even. The children are the ones that are gathering the wood. And they pour out drink offerings to other gods that they may provoke me to anger. Do they provoke me to anger, says the Lord? Do they not provoke themselves to the shame of their own faces? So when we reject the Lord, what happens? When we reject the Lord and trade Him in on some kind of other religion or some kind of other idolatry or some other kind of master passion that we have, Right? We can worship that in the day of trouble, but it's not going to do any good. It's not going to do any good. And that not only brings destruction, but it brings shame of their own faces. Verse 20, Therefore thus says the Lord God, Behold, my anger and my fury will be poured out on this place, on man and on beast, on the trees of the field and on the fruit of the ground, and it will burn and not be quenched. God's judgment is real. God's judgment is real. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, add your burnt offerings to your sacrifices and eat meat. And so, you know, the burnt offerings uh, were, were assigned in the Old Testament, in the Levitical law of total devotion to God. And the, and the burnt offering was completely consumed. In this case, God is saying, 
you might as well eat that whole that burnt offering because it's not doing any good for I did not speak to your fathers or command them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings or sacrifices. But this is what I commanded them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people, and walk in the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well with you. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but followed the counsels and the dictates of their evil hearts, and went backward and not forward. Since the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt until this day, I have even sent to you all my servants, the prophets, daily rising up early and sending them. Yet they did not obey me nor incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. So notice he says here, you know, when, you, when, when your fathers came out of Egypt, and he's speaking now here at Sinai, at Mount Sinai, I didn't give them the Levitical offerings. I didn't tell them about the burnt offering and the peace offering and the fellowship offering and the, and the trespass offering and the sin offering. I didn't tell them about all that. I didn't teach them that until later. What I told them on the mountain was, what did he give them on the mountain? The Ten Commandments. What I told them on the mountain was, obey me. And then later, with the, with the rest of the Levitical law, that's when I told them to offer these, these sacrifices. What are they doing now? They're offering sacrifices, but not even to me. They're offering them to all their pagan gods, and they're not obeying me. Get the order right. Obey, and then offer sacrifices. What did uh, Samuel tell Saul? To obey is better than what? Sacrifice. You bet. Verse 27, we're going to read the rest of this just real quickly. Therefore you shall speak all these words to them, but they will not obey you. You shall also call to them, but they will not answer. So you shall say to them, this is a nation that does not obey the voice of the Lord their God, nor receive correction. Truth has perished and has been cut off from their mouths. So again, draw whatever parallels to America you want. But notice this nation. There's three things. They don't know how to obey. They don't know how to receive correction. And they don't know how to embrace the truth of Scripture. That's sobering to me. They don't know how to obey. They don't know how to receive correction. And they don't know how to embrace the truth of Scripture. Cut off your hair and cast it away and take up a lamentation on the desolate heights. For the Lord has rejected and forsaken the generation of His wrath. For the children of Judah have done evil in my sight, says the Lord. They have set their abominations in the house which is called by my name to pollute it. And they have built the high places of Tophet, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, and burnt their, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I did not command, nor did it come into my heart. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when it will no more be called Tophet, or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. For they will bury in Tophet until there is no room. The corpses of this people will be food for the birds of the heaven and for the beasts of the earth, and no one will frighten them away. Then I will cause to cease from the cities of Judah and from the streets of Jerusalem the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, for the land shall be desolate. God will bring destruction to the nation of Judah. It happened. It was fulfilled. These words were fulfilled ultimately in 586 B.C. by the Babylonians. They brought destruction. They destroyed the temple. They did all this stuff. God's words are true. So, God's justice is serious, but God loves His people enough to warn us, to warn us today that if we need to repent, we need to repent. God's justice extends to the nations that reject Him as well. And yet even in that, even if God is going to judge America, right, God always preserves the remnant, right? 
Who was around during that Babylonian massacre? And who came through it? Jeremiah, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Ezekiel. They all got a front row seat for it. And God honored them through all of that. So we can be that remnant even if our nation is in trouble, right? And know this, God is not impressed with empty religion. God is not impressed with empty religion. God doesn't care how, how flowery your prayers are. God doesn't care how tight your theology is. You know, uh, yeah, let's just say that. God doesn't care how, how tight your theology is. You might be impressed with your theology, but God's not. What God really wants is repentance and obedience. And he makes that available to all of us. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for your goodness. Thanks that you give us the opportunity, you give us the warnings, even, even with these words where, Lord, you're very serious. And your discipline of your children is very real. And yet, through all of that, the opportunity to repent is ever-present. And so, Lord, we thank you. Thank you so much that you love us enough to speak words to us that are sometimes hard that ultimately they may encourage our hearts as we serve you. So please have your way with us, Lord. Help us to um, walk very closely to you according to your word because we know that your word is truth. And we thank you for the discernment that it brings. And we thank you for the relationship we have with you, the fellowship we can enjoy with you, the security that we know is in you as we seek to continue to walk down the narrow road, down the old paths, and find rest for our souls. So thanks for all of that, Lord. Have your way with us now in Jesus' name. Amen.